0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your host, Rick and Jonathan.
1: Martin Luther King Jr. once said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. I'm Rick, and this is Not Your Typical Christian Commentary, as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me, as always, is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades.
2: This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone.
1: So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode?
2: Well, Rick, our question is, how should Christians respond to racism, part two? And our theme text is found in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of your opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt,
1: so that you will know how you should respond to each person. All right, so how should Christians respond to racism, part two, and Julie is with us as well.
3: Hi, gentlemen, and I am taking a deep breath before we start part two.
1: (laughs) Okay, me too. (laughs) Um, So, folks, coming up in today's podcast, bottom line, I'm a Christian, racial tensions are out of control, I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem, what do I do? Well, last week, we looked at racial issues in a very personal way and followed the experiences of two black American women. This week, we follow the experiences of a black American man Who has been on the wrong side of circumstances through no fault of his own? So stay with us throughout as we engage his powerful story, examine how God's wisdom applies to all of us, and outline what our Christian actions should look like. Once again, how should Christians respond to racism, part two? Bottom line. Racism does not happen by accident. It can be taught and exampled to young and unknowing hearts and minds, and that's troubling. Even more troubling are the maladies of ignorance, prejudice, and bigotry that must be present and flourishing to feed and sustain racist thinking and actions. As Christians, the mere thought of any of these things having a home in our hearts or minds should send shivers of distress and fear through our very souls. In part one of our two-part series on racism, we dissected these four elements with the eyes of knowledge and the mind of understanding. So today, we seek to look at ignorance, prejudice, bigotry, and racism with godly wisdom and our highest intentions.
2: While we are focusing on the racial tensions currently happening in the United States, the principles apply worldwide to every culture with race or class conflicts.
1: And Well said, and that's an important thing. And again, folks, our objective today is not to solve the ills of our world regarding the mounting racial and social issues we face, because that is well beyond our capabilities. Our objective today is to continue our journey up the road that we pray leads to godly wisdom.
3: And you know, we had a lot of response to part one of these racism episodes. Many appreciated the lessons in part one, but they made some strong suggestions on what they hope to hear now in part two, depending on which side of the issue they're on. Everyone wants us to tell the other side how it should be. (laughs) And I'm afraid we're going to be an Equal Opportunity Disappointer, but stay with us because we believe we have a call to action for all sincere Christians who find themselves troubled by this issue, and all sincere Christians should be troubled by this issue, no matter what their perspectives and conclusions might be.
1: Okay, Equal Opportunity Disappointer. What does that mean? Well, (laughs) you'll see, okay, as we get into this. Last week, we began by saying words matter to stimulate our understanding of how to accurately label the racial tensions we experience. We focused on ignorance, prejudice, bigotry, and racism, those four words. This week, we begin by saying our perception, our listening, our words, and our actions also matter.
3: And I'm happy to introduce my friend, Ken Cobbs. We're going to hear from him throughout the program. He's 60 years old, and we meet in the same church group. And he was baptized with me and my husband back in 2001. And I very much respect him as a Christian example because he's always transparent with his life experiences and how the Lord has led him. So Rick and I asked him several questions to get his perspective as a Christian man who's also
4: African-American.
1: So we start with a little bit of his background. Trump from,
4: from Chicago, mainly been in Chicago mostly all my life. I was, I was actually born in the South. I was born in uh, in Arkansas. And so my parents are from, both from that area. And so by the time I was uh, school age, we moved to Chicago. Uh, and I've been in Chicago ever since. And I grew up in a really, really tough neighborhood in the inner city of Chicago. Actually, I lived in the neighborhood where Martin Luther King decided to come to Chicago and live there for a little bit. I lived right there. Maybe uh, no more than about... Maybe maybe three or four blocks away.
1: So how old were you when
4: he lived there? So I had to have been probably maybe five or six years old. I just recall I was about, had to be seven, seven years old when Martin Luther King was killed. Uh, It was a Friday night. And so that night, it was almost like the sky was orange and smoke. And, you know, we, I couldn't go back to school. And then I just recall that Sunday, we, we would always go to church and then we would go on, uh, to a restaurant after church and what have you. As we went uh, to church, na- the National Guard was everywhere. They were all in uh, jeeps and all this heavy artillery around. And I mean, being a seven-year-old kid, it's like he thought it was the end of the world. And so we we wound up going to church. And the place where I just loved to, to sit there and fellowship was all burned down. That whole entire area was burned to the ground, including the school wasn't burned to the ground, but it was Burned pretty badly. It was just a really tough time, and you know, I just recall all the all the stores in the area were all burned down, so there was nowhere for us to go to uh, shop or buy goods, and the area never recovered. And that was a bad thing. And so that's what happened with a lot of these urban uh, areas was that through the riots in 1968, that was April 4th, 1968, when that happened on a Friday night, they never recovered. They, They never rebuilt those areas. I was going to Catholic school. So some of the gang members would come around the schools. So we had nuns that would protect us and what have you. But one day, someone was shooting in, at the back of our Catholic school and police came. So when I saw the police, I, I ran. And then the police, they grabbed me. And so I was a little kid. I was had to be about nine or ten. He says, why were you running? And I said that I heard that the police killed. They killed people. And I didn't want you to. To do anything to harm me. And then he, that, that officer said, No, he, he says, we're, we're not all like that, and what have you. And then that made me have a different view at an early age.
3: There's a lot in his story that makes me cringe. Like, I hate the idea of a seven year old seeing his church burning. And it's very telling that at a young age, he already feared the police. And that's not the expected response from kids in white neighborhoods. And So Ken was imprinted early with serious racial divides.
1: Yeah, and and his his experience was varied. The fact that he lived in that neighborhood as a small child where Martin Luther King camped out for a while is, is very significant as well as we will develop his story. So Ken Cobbs, Christian friend of ours, is going to tell us about his life. So let, let's go back and, and, and now set the groundwork for what we talked about and where we are now. Jonathan, go ahead.
2: Sure. In part one, we introduced two territories. Territory one was knowledge. To the best of our ability, we need to have the facts correct. Territory two is understanding. To the best of our ability, we need to assimilate those correct facts.
3: So today we're going to talk about territory three, which is wisdom. And to the best of our ability, we need to apply those correct facts to godly action. And these three terms, if you remember, came from Proverbs 2.6. It said, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding.
1: Okay, so that's the basis. We're focusing on wisdom. Ken is a wise Christian man who is going to help us with that as we go through this story today. So let's look at ourselves now. To know what godly action is, we need to try to see through God's eyes. Now, this is our first call to action, to try to see things the experiences that we have through God's eyes. Let's look at, to understand God's eyes, let's see what God sees. Proverbs 6, 16 to 23, let's actually do 16 to 19 to begin.
2: There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, A false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers.
1: Okay, so when you hear these seven things, the haughty eyes, the lying tongue, hands shedding innocent blood, hearts devising wicked plans, feet running to evil, false witness, spreading strife among brothers. If you're a person of color and you hear these things, who do you think about? Now, if you're a white individual and you hear these things, who do you think about? All right, let's stop for a second, okay? Let's ask the question, what about me? When I say, what about me, I'm talking about me, Rick, but you should be, what about you, Jonathan? What about you, Julie? And what about you, listener? Am I, Rick, following guidance, input, and even subtle suggestions that foster any of these things that God hates? This is something that should be disturbing. Do I engage in any of these seven things that God hates? finds to be abominations. So we have to be focused on this. Now, how do you avoid these things? Well, verses 20 through 23 are going to help us with that.
2: My son, observe the commandments of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life.
1: So one of the answers to avoiding the seven things God hates, it says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. What this is saying is hold fast to those principles which have been true, are true, and will be true because they're godly. That's what this is. This is Solomon advising to heed the godly counsel of parents who live according to God's law. So don't even say, well, my parents didn't, you know, weren't, uh, weren't Christian or didn't, didn't have any faith or were not great people, so that means I don't have to do anything. No, 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 no. This is about God's law. And again, the seven things God hates. When you look at yourself, when you look at those seven things, do we think about others? Say, look at what those people do. Or do we ever say, what about me? Am I letting myself be subject to those things? Keeping that in mind, let's go back to Ken's story. Now, you know, we got a little bit of his background as a kid. We're going to now move forward into some of his adult experiences
4: my uh boss was really involved in the food business and uh he was a uh, turkish mexican background but he ran motor- motorola food service worldwide he knew so many people and so one day they approached me this is uh, the guy that ran uh Surf Safe, said hey i want you to go down to the public schools and on the south side i want you to go down and speak to the eighth graders there's a stigma in the uh in the black community that hospitality jobs are not good jobs and so we want you to go down and he gave me some booklets and literature and I'd go down there and and I'd uh, have the chef bake some Cookies and different uh, pastries, and I would just go down there and I'd talk to these kids, and I would tell them about the hospitality business. And so now this is like maybe ninety one. You know, I wound up being a uh, Burger King franchisee, so I, I, you know, I actually had I had like a, a managing interest in the Burger King, if you will. And a lot of them were in these areas in the inner city. We did well, you know, and I would always take the road of trying to be a resource. Uh, we built ton of uh, loyalty because of our approach. We understood that the environment that we were in and we understood the people. So I would just do little things like I volunteer and go down to the school system. And I would do, uh, they had a program called Real Men Read. And I would go down and read to, uh, I think it was seventh graders. I would do this religiously about, it was once a month. I had to pick a book and i go in and, and they just, they needed role models to go down and, and, and read to these kids. And so I did that
2: for about maybe three or four years. And uh, I I love uh, his story. Ken is helping by being a resource he is being the light. You know, our presence can brighten the world around us and make it better with God's light. Our call to action, Rick and Julie, is to be the light, like
1: Ken. And, and we're going to really develop that later on in the podcast, but it's such an important thing. He was a resource that was available. He had influence, and he used it. That's the important thing. Julie, we have a quote here from uh, Martin Luther King.
3: Okay, Martin Luther King Jr. said, Rarely do we find men who willingly engage in hard, solid thinking. There's an almost universal quest for easy answers and half-baked solutions. Nothing pains some people more than having to think.
1: <laughs> Is that me? Forget about others. Is that me in my circumstances? So as we begin to wrap this segment up, each, each segment we're wrapping up with, with the idea of working towards wisdom. Because wisdom is not something you just have, it's something you have to work towards. So Jonathan, what's our working towards wisdom principle for this segment?
2: True wisdom from above can only be received into a humble and willing heart. This heart understands what is pleasing to God and what is an abomination to him.
1: The heart has to understand what's pleasing and what makes God angry. We need to know that. So so look, folks, the point is three things. First of all, we're, gonna, we're going to make everybody uncomfortable, ourselves included. And when we say we want to make you uncomfortable, believe me when I tell you we've made ourselves uncomfortable in the preparation for this. Uh, secondly, here's the problem. We all think that we've got it right. And if those other folks would just get it right and could follow the principles that I know are right, then they'd be fine and we could all move forward. Guess what? We all have only part of the thing figured out. All of us. We need to step forward further out. And thirdly, how do I handle not knowing everything? How do I handle it if I'm wrong? These are the things that we need to really focus on as Christians if we're serious about making a positive impact, about acting in a Christ-like manner regarding racial difficulties and issues. So God's wisdom is not emotionally based, nor is it socially based. It's based on God's justice, love, and power.
2: How do we apply God's wisdom to our present social issues? What should our thinking be based on?
0: If you love our podcast, show us some love on social media. Search for our handle at CQ Bible Podcast, or just search for Christian Questions on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and Twitter. Now back to our discussion.
1: Jesus said that knowing the truth can set you free. Now, he was specifically speaking about the freedom of becoming a disciple, but the principle of knowing the truth is always important. A major part of our racial tensions today is based on people on two sides of an issue speaking perceptions of truth, perceptions of truth to substantiate their claims.
2: The theme for this segment is wise perception. Perception is greater than reality because it's based on personal experience and conclusions. Godly perception requires us to be engaged in the work of truth-seeking.
1: So we want to work on this godly perception. So let's let's look at 2 Timothy 2.15. This is a great scripture to focus our minds on what godly perception should actually look like.
2: Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed— accurately handling the word of truth.
1: Okay, so to accurately handle the word of truth means that you have to work at it. It doesn't naturally come to you. You know, a lot of times we read a scripture and say, oh, okay, that's what it must mean. Really? How do you know? Does that, does that dovetail with the rest of the scriptures? Study is hard work.
3: and Here's the struggle. The natural human inclination when involved in difficult issues is to be focused on our perceptions of truth, and to see those with other perspectives as needing to wake up and change. And, you know, just in reading the mail we've received on this topic shows me that that's true. We all know for certain what the problems are and how this could be solved. Now we just need to convince the other side to see things like we do.
1: And look, folks, when we say that, we want you to look at this and say, okay, does that apply to me? I said that. I had to say that to myself. And I've been working on this now for a very long time, and I still say to that to myself. Do I think I really know all the answers? And the answer to that is, no, not anymore I don't. Not anymore. Mark 9.50 is a great scripture to, to give us a sense of the, the character behind all of this.
2: Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will, it, what, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Godly character is life-preserving. It's got great value.
1: It really does. And when you are a preservative for the world around you, that makes a difference. And that's a Christian call to action. How do we do that? Well, we're going to focus on that as we develop the subject. And, you know, the, the point here is there's incomplete thinking on both sides. We've got to be aware of that, willing to accept that, and say, how do I become better at my own thinking in the matter? Let's get back to Ken, because Ken was uh, talking about you know, engaging and doing things. And, and here he's going to be focusing on, on making a difference
4: you know, I wanted to be a part of the solution. So we would raise money for uh just selling like coupon booklets and people would come in and support it. So we wound up doing different things like bringing the schools in, like they would do like King for a day. Since it was Burger King, we say King for a day. Gave them an opportunity to raise money in, in, in our restaurants, you know, just by coming in there a couple hours, you know, they had to do some footwork. So they had to let the parents know to come to the restaurant also let some of the other teachers come and they would come and whatever ever sales that they they brought in we we let them keep like 10 15 percent and we wound up putting all these certificates all over our restaurants throughout the entire city where we recognize a level b level students so uh, i go to the we went and talked to all the principals all the churches in in the Around these restaurants. I would just put PowerPoint certificate with Burger King's logo. The teachers would give me a list of the names of everybody that was on the honor roll. And then I also did perfect attendance. And then we would just honor these kids. So then I started to hire some of these kids because in the high schools I wound up uh, going to do like Whopper contests. I wanted to really engage these, these kids. Circle back me going in and talking to these kids in eighth grade 20 years later. So I hired a lot of these uh, kids, well, you know, young adults, and a lot of them went on to become managers. Uh, Some of them are district managers now.
1: Talk about making a difference. Talk about getting in there in the trenches and being an example and then being able to follow up. And I can't, what a great sense that must be to be able to hire one of those young people so many years later and watch them succeed that's that's the power of engagement in the environment that we're in.
3: And I love that what he did was he he within his own sphere of influence, he did what he could. And I think that is a real lesson to me. I want to do that within my sphere of influence is how I can be that light, reflect God's light.
1: Exactly. And and that's a key point within his sphere of influence. Okay. We're talking about wise perception this segment, so let's put our perceptions to the test. And this is the hard part. So here's a perception question. Did Martin Luther King succeed or fail? Now, I've seen a lot that indicates that people think that he failed. Well, we actually believe he succeeded, dramatically succeeded, but he was assassinated at 39 years old, and that severely stifled the breadth of his success. I think it's important to look at the history and to see some of the things that he accomplished because he was unique in this struggle in all of American history, especially with the strides that were made because of the way he focused on things. So we have some notable legislation during his time, during his activism that we want to touch on.
2: First, uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964. This banded discrimination in in employment and public accommodations based on race, color, religion, or national origin. And based on this legislation, uh, he received the Nobel Peace Prize.
1: He did. And that is incredibly significant. So the Civil Rights Act of 1964 said, no more discrimination with employment based on color, religion, or national origin. Now, that made a law that gave legal precedence and legal recourse when there is discrimination. Now, you can look at that and say, okay, job done. No, jobs started. Job started, foundation built. There's now legal recourse if there's discrimination. And you can say, well, but the, the legal system doesn't work that well. You're right. Sometimes it doesn't. But at least you have the foundation. Folks, when you look at something like the racial tensions we have, if we don't acknowledge all of the steps, we can't possibly deal with the real issue. So he because of his tireless, peaceful efforts, put legislation in place that would have been unheard of. What else?
3: Well, what about that Voting Rights Act of 1965 that specifically prohibits racial discrimination in voting?
1: Made it a law to prohibit those things. Now, do we still have voting discrimination? We do. Yes. Okay. But do we have a law that says you can't do that? Yes, we do. Is our enforcement of the law perfect? No, it's not. But you still have the foundation to stand on. You have to realize how important these things are. What, what, what things are? What's next?
2: Immigration and Nationality uh, uh, Services Act of 1965. This allows immigration from groups other
1: than those from the traditional European countries. So immigration was opened up to many, 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 many other countries because of the kinds of things that he did representing equality for all people. Is it perfect? No. But you have a basis for it to be able to work. Do we have a lot of work left to do? Yes. But we have a foundation you get the point. There's a foundation built because somebody stood out in a very unique way. Finally, what's another piece of legislation?
3: This one's very important. This is the Fair Housing Act of 1968. And this banned housing discrimination for both sales and rentals. And I did some research on this. You know, the Federal Housing Administration, or the FHA, FHA, was legally allowed to red line. They literally drew a red line on a map around lower income neighborhoods and refused to issue loans on those properties. And some banks would not lend to a black person seeking to buy in a white neighborhood or vice versa. And in fact, 98% of FHA insured loans between 1934 and 1962 went to white borrow- borrowers. Now, the administration also encouraged clauses in property deeds and leases prohibiting certain groups from buying or renting property, often black people. And in fact, a 1938 manual for the FHA encouraged officials to avoid mixing, quote, inharmonious racial or nationality groups, end quote, and avoid the occupancy of properties except by the race for which they were intended. So what this did was this segregated the neighborhoods to black neighborhood, white neighborhood, and you were penalized by trying to get money or even rent in, let's say you wanted to move to a better school, you couldn't. Um, And in fact, something else interesting struck me, black veterans couldn't purchase homes using the GI Bill. That's something that provides lower interest rates for veterans. And they wouldn't underwrite loans that would bring incompatible racial groups into these newly created white suburbs that happened after World War II. So to me, this was a huge benefit in trying to allow the the, uh, minority community to start building wealth and own homes.
1: And so is it perfect now? No, 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 no. Is it close? No. But how far we have come. Folks, if we don't look back and realize what it was, and because of the work of Martin Luther King and those that worked with him, what it what it had the potential to become, accept and acknowledge the incredible progress. Does that mean you should slow down? No, but it means that there's progress and a foundation. Okay. That's the perception issue dealing with Martin Luther King. We're going to get back to him in a moment, but here's another question. Actually, it has to do with him as well. Another perception question for maybe those who see things differently. Okay, for for the white American, and I've heard this many times in many conversations. Well, why can't Black Americans just pull themselves pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Why can't they just why can't they just change their their environment? I mean, it's a land of opportunity. Why can't they do that? This has been a question that's been around for a long time. Back in 1966. Martin Luther King did a 60 Minutes interview with Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace asked him the exact same question. Here is his answer.
2: Even Senator Jacob Javits asked the question recently. He said that he was a slum resident, but he and some of his fellow Jews were able to make it out of the ghetto on the Lower East Side. The same thing is true with lots of Irish, Italians. And he asked the question, why the Negro finds it so difficult to make his way up out of the ghetto? number
4: one, no other racial group has been a slave on American soil. Uh, It's nice to say other people were down and they got up. They were not slaves on American soil. The other thing is that the Negro has had high visibility. And because of the prejudices existing in this country, his color has been against him. It's been against him. Uh, And they've used this to keep him from moving up. In the final analysis, when you say to a man that you are in this position because of your race or because of your color, you say to that man that he can never get out of it. Other racial groups have been able maybe to change the accent or change the names, but the Negro can't.
3: You know the comparison he made to Jewish people, who of course you know also have had a horrific history of abuse and murder in the Holocaust, and consistent anti-Semitism around the globe. I have a few questions. Um, I'll, I'll give you both of them. You can answer whichever one you want, Rick and Jonathan. Number one: How does leadership play into the success or failure of a community? And two. I've heard the argument that in the Old Testament, God clearly required the Israelites to stay separate from the surrounding communities, having limited dealings with them, not to intermarry. Isn't that an argument for, if not racism, then at least segregation?
1: Okay, so first of all, the leadership question. That's an important question, and I really think leadership plays an enormous, an enormous role in what gets accomplished. And when you look at the things that that Martin Luther King did, his leadership was, was, was really second to none. I don't know of anybody who was a better leader than he. And in, in he, he started working in 1955 and, and was assassinated in 1968. In 13 years, he changed the face of this country. Now, a lot of work yet to be done. But yes, leadership, I believe, plays an incredible role. And what we always need is strong leadership. In, in, in the times when, when the Jews after World War II were literally homeless, literally They had people who led the charge to get them to a place where they could live and flourish. You know, the the thing about the Jews also is uh, they were instructed to be separate. And you say, well, wow, that's segregation. No, that was God preserving spirituality. That was God saying, you're my people. I'm going to teach you how to be in touch with me. Other people could have become Jews if they wanted to, but his focus on them was so that they could... Bless the rest of the families of the earth. That's what the promise to Abraham was. So before the Jewish nation started, God tells Abraham, in your seat, in this nation, you'll bless the families of the earth. That's why they were separate, so they could be a blessing. So we got to understand, God's way, he separated them so they could eventually bless everyone. And I think that's a pretty good reason to lift them up higher from all of the paganism that surrounded them. Okay. Let's let's keep moving forward. Another perception, not question, but this time a perception confirmation. Galatians 6, 26 and 28. For you are
2: all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female.
1: For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are are all the same in Christ Jesus. We did a lot of scriptures last week on this, but this is just one of those reminders that let's get it straight. We're Christians, we have to see others as the same as we are. Next perception question. Did Martin Luther King leave room for violence? And the reason I'm asking this question, and this really is coming from me personally, is because in watching the video of several of the protests, there were many people holding signs up that said violence is the language of the unheard. And it had Martin Luther King. So it was a quote for him. And I thought, did he really say that? And the answer is, yes, he did. But if you don't understand the context of the statement, you don't understand the intention of the statement. I looked it up. We put his entire statement in the bonus material of our show notes. So you want to take a look at that. But to suffice for the moment... We're going to look at a small paragraph from King's Nobel Prize acceptance speech back in 1964. And folks, if you haven't read this speech, I would read it. It is profound. So, Julie, just this one paragraph that gives us a sense of what he stood for.
3: But in spite of temporary victories, violence never brings permanent peace. It solves no social problem, it merely creates new and more complicated ones. Violence is impractical because it's a descending spiral ending in destruction for all. It's immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys community and it makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends up defeating itself.
2: Uh, Rick and Julie, it's been over 50 years since Martin Luther King Jr. died, and it's amazing how many people don't understand the impact he had and the changes that were made in this country. The present generation loses that impact.
1: We do, and it's so easy to lose because we're an instant generation. And even if you go back as far as a different subject, 9-11, 2001, uh, people who are in college or graduating college now were tiny. We're kids. We're kids back then. And they don't know what the world was like the days and weeks and months following. They don't know what it was like to look up and not have planes flying in the sky. Of course, now you have very few planes flying in the sky. But they don't know what it was like to to have the sense of, of terrorism overwhelming. The point is that generations always forget or are not, don't engage in what the previous generation knew. Do I know what it was like in World War II? No. As much as those who fought could try to explain it to me when I was a kid, I couldn't get it. So we have to review to understand, you're right, Jonathan, how far we've come. Let's get back to Ken Cobbs. And um, this is getting into some interesting things now as he is grown up. And now he's, uh, you know, going to be developing a family of his own. So let's hear the next part of his story.
4: Every young black man has to be told with a young black person, even some of your young black women, you have to tell them how to handle themselves in public because, uh, hey, look, if police stop you, don't ever get upset, always show your hands, you know, always say yes, sir, and do exactly as they tell you. And so it's different. I have to be that way for my kids, you know, because if I'm bitter and I'm angry based on what transpired with my ancestors, then... My son wouldn't have any future. And so so you have to talk with them. You let them know that these things are probably not going to happen so that they're not shocked when they do happen.
1: If I'm bitter and angry with what happened with my ancestors, I'm taking my kid's future away. There's a profound wisdom in that in terms of being able to perceive. Wise perception. Ken is showing us what wise perception is in a difficult circumstance that I don't understand, Okay. I'm a father. I don't understand what he has to do. It's beyond my comprehension, the kind of conversations we're going to get into that even further as we go. It's an amazing thing to me. Proverbs 17, 24.
2: Wisdom is in the presence of the one who has understanding, but
1: the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Wisdom is focused. The eyes of a fool are everywhere. And, you know, let's not be foolish. In our looking at and trying to deal with the issues of racism that are before us as Christians. Remember, this is a call to action as a Christian in terms of our own perception. So, Jonathan, working toward wisdom for this segment.
2: As Christians, our perceptions must be truth-based, seasoned with salt of godly character, and be fueled by our highest
1: godly intentions. Seasoned with salt, fueled by highest intention intentions, and our perceptions have to be based as best as we possibly can on truth. This is not easy. As a Christian, it's not enough to think about things. We need to instead focus on proving what's true.
2: As we seek to purify our perceptions, how do we go about the task of listening to dissenting voices?
0: Our team of volunteers are accomplishing amazing work every week as we release new audio, video, and web content, helping create the Christian Questions Multimedia Ministry. There's several ways you can get more involved in our not-for-profit mission. Click on Support CQ in our main menu on ChristianQuestions.com.
1: The early church had this very issue, and had they not dealt with it, the pure ideals of Christianity would have been forever soiled. We can learn much from their example of bringing two opposing sides together to honestly and passionately discuss, understand, and set a forward course.
2: The theme for this segment is wise listening.
1: All right, so wise listening, the idea is how do we set a forward course? How do we as Christians move forward? Okay, it's not just about talking here, it's about moving forward. Let's go back to uh, Ken for another piece of his story. And it's interesting, we've titled this piece of his story, Voice of Christian Reason. And uh, well, let it speak for itself.
4: I never forget where I come from. But I, I think as a Christian, is doing what what you can, you know, because you know the scripture that says that we're in this world, but we're not of this world, and so so we have to let our light shine no matter where we go. And so I've always had a, a voice of calmness and humility. Try to be as meek as possible because you never know who you run into. So many have come to me and it's, man, you know, what, what do you do? Where do you go to church at? And um, and you tell them, and it's like, wow, I never heard of that. But they must be doing something right over there because of the way you carry yourself, the way you go about things. Being a Christian has helped me. You could have a lot of bitterness and anger inside you. I mean, what does bitterness beget? That pride, you know, what what does it do? It just bears fruit it's just wonderful having the spirit of god where you can bear the peaceable fruits if you have the gift of the holy spirit a gift to me is when you have something that i think it's luke chapter 6 where it says give and it should be given unto you Pressed down shaken together so the way i take that scripture is that if you have a gift you can keep giving it it will never run out and i'm talking about the spiritual gifts the more you give the more it's going to come
3: And, you know, Ken quoted there Luke 6, 36 to 38, and I wanted to just read that because it's so beautiful. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you won't be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return." Jesus here uses the picture of measuring grain in a basket, about getting the full amount. You press it down, you shake it, and it runs over, and that's your full amount. And that's what um, our brother Ken here is saying. I think it's just beautiful.
1: You know, and he's not just saying it, he's living it. And this is such an important part of our Christian call to action, to live that Christ-likeness no matter what the circumstance. And we'll see some of his circumstance come up in a few minutes, and how he actually— Here's an idea. He practices what he preaches. So, Jonathan, the segment you you had mentioned that our theme is wise listening. What do you have for us with that?
2: Listening with wisdom is about listening intently to hear truth in the midst of issues. To be a wise listener, we need godly intentions, perceptions, and filters,
1: and the courage to use them. So— to hear truth in the midst of issues. This is much harder than we might think. Godly intentions, perceptions, and filters, and courage.
3: And here's the struggle. So as human beings, we are sometimes comfortable in our discomfort. And it's far too easy to rest in our own perspective rather than challenge it with external input. What does that mean? What well, it means we rest in our assumptions and stereotypes. Stereotypes are a big one. Social media comments, passing around questionable posts or memes or jokes, allowing others to make racially insensitive or outright racist comments, and we say nothing. That, to me, is where we're just comfortable by not changing our sphere of influence around us.
1: And, you know, and that comfort can be on either side of an issue especially this particular issue. Whether you are a, 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 a black American who is looking at this saying, how come they don't see it? How come they don't get it? How come I'm being continually pushed aside and so forth? Do we engage in the comfort of leaning on those who are going to support that? Or are we looking for ways to understand the other side? That's one of the reasons we did last week's podcast. It was to say, am I going to be the one to be first, to be vulnerable, to go out and build a bridge so I can connect with somebody who sees it differently. To be able to connect, we have to be able to listen. And we need to lis- listen with wisdom. Let's get uh, back to Ken. And uh, this is, he, he was talking about having talk with young people. And I was gonna talk about some of his own son's experience.
4: And I recall an experience with my son, you know, when he got a driving age, he was stopped in a town. They stopped him. He was so nervous because, I mean, I had told him to be calm and what have you, but they're asking for his insurance and different things like that. And he, he was just so shaken that he, he didn't know where it was. And so the officer wrote two tickets, which got him to court. And then when we did go to the court, the vehicle was in my name. So the judge would not even listen to me. And so the judge fined him. And then, so now I have to go and get a lawyer. And I was there and I wanted to talk to the judge. The judge told me, you can't, wouldn't allow me to talk. And so it took me one lawyer in uh, DuPage County. And then my son actually uh, missed the stop sign in Will County. So that exacerbated the problem right in between this. So, so now I have to go and Pay for a lawyer in DuPage County. Pay for one in Will County because they dip, they represent different counties and the laws are different. It cost me several thousand dollars to to prove that he had his uh, insurance when it could have easily been done a, a different way. But those experiences that that you have, you can't let those things get the best of you. But I think it really made it. My son saw it at a young age. And now, you know, he, he understand. And so I would only hope that he would have that same type of way of carrying himself and, and, and teach his son the same thing.
1: You know, and you think about it and he's talking about, okay, this is a bad thing that happened to my son. I want him to have learned from it. See, it's so easy to get stuck in the bitterness of the circumstance saying it should have never happened. Well, maybe it should never happen. You're right. But what do you do with it? What do you do with it?
3: Yeah, Ken's not, sorry, Ken's not, he is a victim, but he's not acting like a victim. Right.
2: Oh, that's huge. Good point, Julie. Thank you. You know, I I was trying to think, can TV influence the way we get our prejudice? Can we be influenced without even knowing we're influenced? You know, have you ever had a prejudice thought pop into your head and think, where did that come from? Yeah, well.
1: Yes. (laughs) Well, and, and, oh. TV, radio, social media, you name YouTube. Yes, 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 and yes, and we have to be so very careful. We're going to develop that further, but yes, please listen wisely. Proverbs four, five, and six.
2: Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you love her and she will watch over you.
1: Wisdom will watch over you if you allow wisdom to do that. And you know Ken, we're using Ken as an example of a wise Christian who's been through some stuff. Well let's listen to some of the stuff that Ken has been through and listen for the wise Christian principles.
4: This was uh, 1999 I was actually working for this company in, in human resource and staffing. It was actually a couple of days after my 39th birthday. I recall this because I had to go and renew my license. So I go down to the DMV, get my license. A day or two later, I'm driving to drop off this uh, bill to a client. I'm in a suit tied because that's the way I had to dress because you know, I'm talking to HR people Uh, going in to try to acquire new business. And then I'm also managing existing business. So I'm driving north. I see another guy speeding in front of me. I see this police come uh, coming south. He's driving like he's gonna catch this guy. So he turns around, comes north, and he comes to me. The other guy just kept going. He's a, a white driver. I'm not doing anything. So he just ran my plates. Next thing you know, he, he directed me into the parking lot because I had to go. The parking lot I was in was the, the client that I was trying to service. So before I could get out of the car, he had called for backup. There was uh, maybe four or five police. And I remember there was this female cop. She she had a she had a gun on me, and they threw me to the car. And uh, and I said, "Well, what's going on?" They said, "Well, your emissions. You, you didn't you didn't do your emissions test." So I just went to the DMV and got my license the other day. I wouldn't be able to get a license had I not t- taken my emission. They told me to shut up. And I said, "Well, I got I got a client here inside." So the client comes out. She's seeing this. She says, "Well, he's." Coming here to deliver. I just was on the phone with them, and they took me in, fingerprinted me, arrested me. And so I'm in. I'm in the back of this squad car in handcuffs. And I started asking. myself, "What, what church do you go to?" And this and that. And said, well, I hadn't been to church in a while. So I started to uh, share some different scriptures with him. As soon as I got to the station, he fingerprinted me. Said he was sorry. And so they let me go, but then I had to go to court, so I had to pay like a $60 fine.
3: Do you see why I love Ken and his example (laughs) so much? Like this story, when I heard it, when he told us, it's mortifying. There's like so much wrong with what happened. He had a gun drawn on him because of an emissions test that he wasn't even aware his car, you know, was time to pass. This helps me as a white woman to understand why people say that many black men are profiled without cause. So I appreciate him telling us this story because I'm getting it now.
1: And, you know, it's really hard for those of us with lighter skin to understand that that really happens. And so this this is hopefully wise listening to say, wow, this is real. And it needs to be looked at and appreciated and understood. And I love the part where he's sitting there in handcuffs in the (laughs) squad car. And he's saying, so what church do you go to? And he starts talking (laughs) about scripture. Wisdom. Wisdom protects you. It really, truly does. There's a quote from Thomas Sowell. And Thomas Sowell is is an intellectual. He's about 90 years old or something. He's a a black intellectual, has taught at many universities, very, very well-respected, but a very independent thinker. Here's what he said. He said, the reason so many people misunderstand so many issues is not that these issues are so complex, but that people do not want a factual or analytical explanation that leaves them emotionally unsatisfied. Do we Are we willing to have a factual, analytical explanation at the cost of our emotional satisfaction? It's a huge question that we all have to a- answer. Acts chapter 15 is a lesson in learning in spite of our emotional satisfaction. The early church had faced massive disunity at this point.
2: Looking through the wide-opened eyes of racial tension, Acts 15 has taken on a whole different look. Let's see what verses 1 and 2 have to say. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had, had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue.
1: So th- this, this issue couldn't be fixed locally. They had to seek the other apostles and the other leaders. It was too big an issue, They and they put all of the witnessing on hold and said, okay, back to Jerusalem.
2: Yeah, Paul stopped and said, You know, we need to work this out. It's too big of an issue not to put everything on hold and take care of what's needed to be done. And really, if you think about it, he and his friends were going to the other room. (laughs) Um, You know, I wonder if it felt like they were going to the principal's office because they had the Apostle Peter and the Mm -hmm. Apostle James, and they're going there to debate with them their concerns.
1: Yeah, you know, and I just want to touch on that example. You say they're going to the other room. What do do we mean by that? Here's what happens. When we're faced with an issue like racism, okay— We are in our own room. We're in a room where we see the input that those who agree with us see, we feel the input that those who agree with us feel, and we discuss with those who agree with us. Well, there's people in the other room that do exactly the same things. And I can guarantee you, because I visited both rooms, that the input, the conversations, the tone is different, and yet it's the same. It's different because it's based on different pieces of truth, different perceptions, different experiences. It's the same because we all say, like Julie said earlier, well, we've got it all figured out. What's wrong with them? So what room am I in? Am I willing to understand what's going on in the other room? So here's the thing. There was great debate. They had to do something about this. And what we're going to see is an example of wise spiritual listening. Peter, the Apostle Peter, the formerly impetuous Apostle Peter, the one who always used to act before he thought, is going to apply his factual experience to the matter in an incredibly wise way. So Jonathan, let's now go to Acts fifteen six through 10.
2: The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there was much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, You know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe.
1: So there was much debate before the Apostle Paul went to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem, they have the meeting, and there's still much debate. And then Peter, after the debate, stands up and starts to talk. Before the facts were portrayed, and incidentally, everybody knew. Everybody knew about Peter and the, the conversion of Cornelius. All of the church knew this. There Before those facts were portrayed by Peter, there was a lot of clashing factual pieces, but no factual continuity. There were facts on both sides of the issue, as they were arguing. The apostles and elders needed to hear the facts while debating. They the pieces, and then they were going to need Peter to step in and tell them the bottom line. And he does that in verses 8 through 10 of Acts 15.
2: And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers
1: nor we have been able to bear? So he listened first He listened carefully, then he reminded them of what they already knew, and basically said, what are you doing? You know that this is not what we should be doing. Peter listened first, and then he spoke. That's wise listening. So continuing the wise listening theme in in, Acts 15, 28, and 29, even though all opinions were not in complete agreement, they did find common ground.
2: For it did seem good to the Holy Spirit uh, and to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell.
1: So they came to a conclusion, and again, the wise listening brought them to the results Uh, that they would bring to others and that result was received in the spirit that the decision was made to build each other up so acts 15 30 to 31 shows us how that result was received by gentile christians
2: so when they were sent away they went down to antioch and having gathered the congregation together they delivered the letter when they had read it they rejoiced because of its encouragement
1: So this compromise made because the two sides came from their separate rooms and got together and talked, worked. And that's a powerful point. There are four basic uh, lessons here we can learn. Julie, what's the first one?
3: Dissension and debate were important tools. They weren't done in writing or by message, but in person. And I might add, definitely not by Facebook. (laughs) Um, But I have a question. So seeing Ken every week on Sunday... Helped me formulate what a Christian black man looks like. And we want to try to see this issue from each other's eyes. But what if we're black and we don't interact with many white people or vice versa? Are we supposed to just randomly go up to somebody of a different race at the grocery store and strike up an emotionally charged conversation?
1: No. (laughs) No. What you do is you build a relationship with somebody and then you get into the emotionally charged conversation. But to uh, present the emotionally charged conversation first, gets us nowhere really, really fast. And then we wonder what happened. Boy, that didn't go well, I wonder why. Well, because you're in a different room. So if you don't have a lot of interaction, then work on finding those that you can begin to understand, build some confidence, build some trust, and then work on those who you, who you do associate with and show them what you've learned. This is how we can build this whole thing, but the idea is don't be afraid to listen. What's the next point?
2: Adequate and intentional listening gave all present the security and satisfaction of being heard. Paul and the Gentiles were, as we said, in the other room, and they were respected
1: because they were heard. And that's the big point. You, you, once you're heard, once you have the security of being heard— you have there's this this inherent respect and you know i've i've talked to a lot of folks about this issue and they've many have told me about their news feed and you know the news what a news feed is you, you you get from whatever news source several articles that you can choose from it's like being fed intravenously and that's a problem because whatever is being fed to you goes into your system and you're not even checking it most of us are not questioning our news feed and my question to you is why not maybe you should pull that news feed out and find it yourself. I just think about how you are listening, what you are allowing yourself to be fed without giving it thought. What's our next point?
3: Once the facts were verified by the original source, all were open to moving forward. And boy, verifying the original source. There's so many sources out there today and we've got some examples coming up.
1: Yeah, and and you know, one of the things that we really want want to focus on is you know, we've got we've got the police brutality things and everybody is focusing, especially now on, on George Floyd and all of. Uh, and, and, and look, what happened to him was horrendous. But my question to you all is, and this may be an uncomfortable question once you look up the answer. But have you ever heard of, heard of a guy named Tony Timpa? Tony Timpa.
2: Not until you told us two days ago, Rick.
1: <laughs> look him up. All I'll tell you is he's a white guy. And He was killed by the police. And it was very similar to the way George Floyd was killed. And here's the important question. How come nobody knows? Why is it that nobody knows his name? You got to think about that. And you got to ask yourself, what have I been listening to? Is there a broader base of things that I should be hearing? Now, for those of you who are, 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 on, on the side of saying, okay, you know, the racial issue is too big, and, and, and a lot of white people don't understand, you can take what I just said is, oh, he is now starting to try to minimize the cause. No, I am not. I am trying to focus the cause by understanding the biggest picture possible. Believe me when I tell you, I have learned incredible things by going through all of this experience, dealing with Ken and Takia and Coretta and having Sebastian's perspective and others. Learned a lot. I am just fanatical about getting the broadest base of fact. What's our final point here?
2: The compromise was not perfect, but it paved the road for walking together in Christ.
1: The road was paved for unity, and it wasn't perfect. And it's, okay, what are we doing? Am I getting out of my room and willing to see what's in the other room so I can pave that road to unity? Working towards wisdom, Jonathan, what's our point here? Wise
2: listening is a decision to rise above our own emotional comfort for the sake of finding truth. Wise listening is patient, observant, and
1: respectful. And requires a lot of courage. Listening makes us vulnerable, and that makes us uncomfortable. But if we want truth, we need to do it anyway.
2: To listen is always a theme of importance. How should we address those with opposing opinions?
0: what's up everybody it's your cq voiceover guy reminding you we also want to talk to you before and after the podcast send us a message at christianquestions.com for any and all feedback or message us on our social media channels have a topic idea or just questions about what we're talking about reach out at christianquestions.com
1: Words matter. This goes back to part one of our series when we talked about seeing through another's eyes and establishing personal trust. Now we focus on dealing with the issues at hand in a straightforward and still compassionate Christian way. And yes, this is as difficult as it sounds.
2: The theme for this segment is wise words. And this is really about what to say and what not to say, when to say it and when not to say it. (laughs)
3: Mm -hmm. And we're going to hear next from Ken, and I just want to give a little background to this next soundbite. Ken grew up in an influential time of change in America. He's going to talk about Jim Crow laws. Now, Jim Crow wasn't a real person. He was a character played by a white man in blackface. And what was known as Jim Crow laws segregated blacks from whites. And Wikipedia says this about the Jim Crow laws. Jim Crow laws were state and local laws that enforced racial segregation in the southern United States. These laws were enacted in the late 19th and early 20th centuries by white, democratic-dominated state legislatures to disenfranchise and remove political and economic gains made by Blacks during the Reconstruction period, and that means after the Civil War. The Jim Crow laws were enforced until 1965, that's the end of the quote. So for example, these laws are what gave the authority to have what was a public colored drinking fountain labeled versus a white drinking fountain. So let's hear Ken's experience.
4: You know, being a brother in Christ, a lot of times I'll get invited to spend time with brethren. And, and a lot of times I, 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 I kind of decline because I know that, especially at the times of day, and then there's some meetings, the weeknight meetings that I don't feel comfortable going to because of, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been stopped by the police, how many times I've had a gun to my head. You become used to it because you've had the talk. You've had the talk that these things were going to happen. And so I I came up right doing the Jim Crow laws. So I was in second grade. I was about to end second grade when this all happened. She would take us uh, on field trips and what have you. I remember going to the Museum of Science and Industry, and I, and I couldn't use certain bathrooms. I couldn't drink out of certain... The fountains were marked. Lincoln Park Zoo, same thing. Seriously, this just the way it was coming up. And so I caught the tail end of that. You know, I grew up and saw all different types of things. The fortunate thing, I was I was a kid. By the time I got to maybe 12 or so, you know, it was more or less that the civil rights movement had started pretty strongly.
3: And, uh, you know, I've been going to church with Ken now for, what, at least several decades. I had no idea, and I think people from our church group listening to this, will have no idea that he had to decline certain privileges of service or certain Bible studies based on where they were located or the times that they were located. And he he went on to tell us, and we're not playing this today, but he went on to tell us that, you know, certain early times in the morning were especially bad and then driving home at night because the police were out just looking for, men that fit his profile and it's it's heartbreaking to think that he missed these things with us
1: so it just tells you that this this stuff is real and for for those of us who have never experienced it what we have to do is is do that wise listening and hear it and say wow there's a real issue what am i going to do and it comes down to how do i react what are my words going to be jonathan wise words here To
2: speak with wisdom always begins with first attempting to fully align our heart and mind with godly principles and intentions. Wise words are rarely rushed and firmly focused.
3: And here's the struggle. Our emotions are often the default driver for our words. When we've become unjustly treated or we are accused of racism without cause, Our words tend to lash out in retribution, and this lashing out can be overtly or passively aggressive. We can't try to start a new movement or a new social media approach. Their call to action has to be based on being Christian.
1: It really does. It has to be based on being Christian. And do not underestimate the power of passive aggressiveness. I'm not suggesting you do it. Just realize how powerful it is to to dig at someone else in a way that maybe looks a little better. Let's be honest about these things and understand that from our own perspective, from our own comfort, the comfort of the room that we're in with the people that we're in, it's really easy to lash out. But should we as Christians be actually doing that? Let's go back to Ken. And uh, again, another great lesson is in store. Now, I've been stopped a lot of times
4: where it was a really nice policeman, but then I've, I've been stopped at times where it was just, it was really tough. It was tough and I'm glad that my son had the experience at an early age because you know you're starting to grow get to that stage of I know how to handle myself you don't have to treat me like a kid but having that experience after I told him that it just really opened up his eyes I know that there's uh different places in, in in the United States that I can't go to comfortably and what have you I always have to be aware of my surroundings where I go and what have you because I mean, you just never know. It's just one thing that, that you're always mindful of. And I, and a lot of times I'm going on business. You no, know, like like, uh, you know, now I've become a instructor for Burger King Corporate. So I teach all over North America. And a lot of times I'm driving. So I've driven all the way up to the Upper Peninsula, almost to Canada, to teach courses in, in, uh, at some universities, at uh, some hotels. And so, I'm, so I get there, I tell them who I am. And
2: sometimes, like, you're Ken Cods? Yeah,
1: me. (laughs) Always mindful, always mindful, always mindful.
2: When there are experiences ahead of us that are uncomfortable, we need to tell ourselves, if I'm righteous, loving, and kind, I shouldn't fear. I should step out and have faith that I can be a blessing by God's grace.
1: And that goes for those of of us on both sides of the issue, whether you're looking at it saying, I don't understand why they're having such a problem, or you're looking at it saying, I don't understand why they they don't see that there's such a problem. Whichever way, we have to be graciously uh, based in our Christianity. Wise words or thoughtful words even toward those who are not Christian. Ken has been a great example of this. Colossians 4, 5, and 6.
2: Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to
1: each person. Essentially, do what Jesus said. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. There's a strength in the Christian call to action to be that blessing, that light around everyone else. Let's go back to Ken's story. He brings up something really fascinating here, That another thing that I never thought of.
4: If you told me that, hey, uh, if you could trace your family history, Ken, my mom is Sicilian, Italian, and you know, my dad is from this country, and here's a picture of my great-great-grandfather. You know, a lot of uh, African-Americans don't have that. We're a, a race that doesn't have our history it was taken from. A lot of African-Americans, they don't really study the history because it's so painful that when they started to, it's almost like you open up a wound and they'd rather not even talk about it. They'd rather not even know the history. Like, even like I was talking to my daughter and she's very bright. She went through the history. She got AIDS in it. But it just hurt her to talk about history when you started to open up these wounds.
1: It, it's, it's just that, that's such a, such a difficult thing to deal with.
3: There have been many people who have lost their histories. You know, the intent of the Holocaust was to wipe Jewish people off the face of the earth, and many genealogies hit the end when entire families were wiped out. But until Ken brought this up, I never gave it a second thought, that it can be a blessing to have a clear sight line of genealogy. I can trace my family back to Poland and Ukraine many generations and never give it a second thought. To start thinking of the pain your ancestors went through with something like slavery must be very hard. And until he said this, it never really crossed my mind.
1: Yeah, and, and you know the, the, the history of being in this country, which stood for freedom, and having that happen on this soil is significant. And for those of us who can't relate to it, here's how we do some wise listening so our words can be wise. Check out what's in the other room. It's comfortable in your room but check out what's in the other room. You might be surprised. Jonathan, another quote from Martin Luther King.
2: People fail to get along because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they have not communicated with each other.
1: And there you have it. And that goes back to racism part one. It was all about communication. We started with that purposefully because that's what we have to always go back to you know we talked about acts 15 and the principle of acceptable compromise now let's go to romans 14 verses 1 to 4 because this is on a personal level and again this has to do with people in the other room from you because the whole premise of romans 14 is you're different than some of your christian brethren and the point is so what that's what the point is supposed to be but we try to make it more than so what romans 14 1 through 4
2: Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another?' To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand.
3: You know, we talked before about some, you know, passive-aggressive things that you can do with racism, and one of our volunteers, Becca, had asked for this program to have some practical things that we can do. And I know a subtle thing that I'm just going to say white people do all the time in my world, and it's just come to my attention, though, in the last few years— White people might say something like this. I was at the grocery store looking for olives and this black guy pointed me to the right aisle and the next response in the conversation should be, and does the color of his skin have anything to do with this story?
1: Hmm.
3: It's shocking to me how often this comes out of the mouths of white people identifying others as black, even though it has nothing to do with the story and a physical description is unnecessary because we never say, oh, that Caucasian man showed me where the olives are. It's a subtle way of dividing, separating, and calling attention to a person as the other, implying that they don't belong in that setting because it's unusual in some way. So we need to stop that. Pay attention, see if it happens, stop it.
1: Well, and that's the thing, pay attention to your words. And and that's the why, this whole thing about wise words, what to say, what not to say, when to say it, when not to say it. This is all part of this. So wise words to a brother or sister are based on confidence in that brother or sister. That's what Romans 14 was just talking about. Folks, figure it out. Think about it. Don't minimize your brother because they see things differently or have different experiences than you. Accept their desire to serve God as intensely as you accept yours. Here's another thing about wise words. They can be corrective. And and sometimes it's appropriate to be the one who does the correcting. However, the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I the spiritually mature position in the spiritually mature position to speak words of correction to someone else? Proverbs 17 10.
2: A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fold.
1: We should not be correcting others unless we are truly spiritually sound and mature. There's other scriptures that go into that. Just let's use that as, as, as words of warning. Wise words are sometimes those words that we don't even say. Let's go to Proverbs 9. Let's go to Proverbs 9, 7 through 10.
2: He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will build, still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom,
1: and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So when you look at the scripture, do not reprove a scoffer. Why does it say that? Because you're wasting your time. Because your dedicated Christian time, our dedicated Christian actions need to be upbuilding. How much time am I spending making the case for racial understanding with those who present themselves as angry and closed-minded or vengeful? Is this what following Jesus looks like? No, Jesus didn't seek out those who were angry. But when they came to him, he dealt with them. We work with the environment in which we are in. That's the best way to do this. And Jonathan, let's go to working towards wisdom.
2: Wise words are carefully chosen to represent the light of God's word. They are to be spoken in an appropriate fashion and at appropriate
1: times. And remember, sometimes wise words are the ones that we simply don't speak. Discussing perception, listening, and words gives so much more meaning to being an ambassador for Christ.
2: To represent Christ is to take action. What action should we take regarding those racial issues?
0: Did you know we have one-page companion Bible studies for our most recent podcast episodes? Listen to the episode, follow along with our CQ Rewind show notes, and for your own bite-sized Bible study or group study, check out the Bible study questions content. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Bible study in the main menu. Have some study time and then contact us with any additional questions or comments. Now let's continue the conversation.
1: So this can be a tricky question. On one hand, if our characters truly represent Jesus, we are therefore greatly suited to help people. On the other hand, Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world, and he even said, let the dead bury their dead. So really, when you look at this, how do you balance the two? Do we get involved, or do we stay out of it? This is what the call to Christian action really is all about.
2: The theme for this segment is wise actions. To act wisely is to act with our highest priority always in mind. This does not mean only doing spiritual things, but it does mean doing everything while walking in Jesus' footsteps.
1: Proverbs 16.3 is a good scripture for focusing us on wise actions.
2: Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established.
3: Yeah, but here's the struggle. We hurt as a result of the cruelty and the injustices in the world. And sometimes we wanna just dig in and fix it here and now. Other times we completely avoid it, thinking, well, God's got it all in hand and what can I do anyway? And our producer, whose name is Jacob, put together the sound bites for this program. And he said how, how much he appreciated how Ken just plowed through all the roadblocks with hard work and became this corporate consultant. He came to understand that he will be profiled by the police And certain individuals in the work world his entire life, but he learned how to smartly navigate it rather than banging his head against the same wall over and over again. But this doesn't mean Ken just rolled over and did nothing to help his situation or that of other African-Americans. He does everything he can within his circle of influence, but you're not going to see him getting into fights on social media. The society is ultimately being torn down for Christ's kingdom, so we don't expect these social issues to be fixed until Satan gets restrained.
1: So how do we engage in, in, in wise action? Well, first, we need to be righteous in all of our doings. And righteous doesn't mean just on the side of right. In, in the scriptures, when you talk about righteousness, it's godly righteousness. So it's on the side of God's plan that is right. Proverbs twelve twenty five to 26.
2: Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray.
1: Make sure all of our doings are godly, righteous doings and not just good or nice and not just agreed upon by the others in the same room that we are because there are people in the other room who don't have the perspective that we have. One last quote, Jonathan, from... There's going to be one more later, but another quote from Martin Luther King.
2: The function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character... That is the goal of true education.
4: I was a uh, franchisee, but I only had part ownership in the business. The majority franchise owner uh, was this uh, African-American Chuck. He showed me his history. Now, he had history. He takes me on on a website on Google, and he shows me in the early 1800s his family's brand name on trucks, and they owned a building. It was called C.H. James Holdings, and they were farmers, but everybody in that family from the great grandfather went to Wharton Business School. Wow. So, wow. you know, Wharton's one of the best business schools out there. And so, so the thing is, is that they've had, they, they've got contracts, national contracts for McDonald's, the national contract for Walmart. And then he he sat on all these boards, but he's very fair skinned. In slavery, there were some that actually lived in the, homes with the the masters and they were the kids and a lot of those uh got inherited because they were they were kids of the uh of the slave owners and so he was one of these and so you know he said to me he says no ken the only difference between you and i he said you're just as smart as i am he said you could have went to wharton or any of these schools you just didn't have the the access to those opportunities he says that you know had it not been for my great grandfather and then the the fact that they were born into that the the wall and it was given to them it, he never would he would have been in the same position that I was,
1: you know and and the interesting thing is though you say okay they're born into that but here's the point the point is a there was opportunity though it was limited there was opportunity back in the early eighteen hundreds and b this family stayed with it they didn't just take whatever opportunity was given and run away, they took it and developed a legacy of passed on opportunity and everybody had to do the work. And it's a tremendous example of being successful through time. So in terms of our wise actions, it all comes down to light. And we started talking about this earlier in the podcast. Let's get back to it. Matthew five fourteen through 16.
2: You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.
1: So when we deal with racial issues, here's a concept that is as Christian, as any concept you can ever find, and it's a call to action. You are the light of the world. It doesn't say you have the light of the world. It doesn't say that the light of the world is in your hand and you can shine it on different things. It says you are the light of the world. Let your light shine. In other words, you should be the brightness in the room that you're in that shows Christ-likeness. And when you can finally get yourself to visit the other room or those from the other room, you can let them see that brightness that emanates from you because you're being that Christian. Proverbs 3, 27 to 31.
2: Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is your power to do it.
1: See, now a lot of times we look at the Scripture and say, well, that means I should go out and be a crusader for everything. That's not what this Scripture is saying, okay? Here's how we pro- uh, pro- promote the Christian, righteous, wise, actions. The power is not trying to change the world. It's described in the following verses. Listen to the context of the influence given.
2: Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways."
1: It's talking about, and, and Julie, you talked about it before, it's talking about our circle of influence, those around us. It's saying, be good to your neighbors. Don't, don't hesitate to be good to your neighbors. If you're in the position to, to do well for them, do it here. Do it now. And as Christians, that is what our light shining means. And so when we are in whatever room we're in with this racial, racial tension issue, let's decide to be the light that is drawing its power and its strength from above based on scriptural principles so that we can light the way. Stop, let's all stop with the pulling in of the information on the intravenous newsfeed without questioning anything, and let's rise above it, whatever part of the position, uh, p- situation you happen to be in. In, in other words, love your neighbor, as yourself, am I prejudiced or bigoted or racist against myself? I don't think so. Therefore, love your neighbor as yourself, and that includes the one in the other room. Okay. Final words from Ken. What do you say to those young people in terms of dealing with their anger? How do you tell them to manage the disappointment, the difficulty, and their white neighbors as well?
4: I tell them to trust in the Lord with all their hearts, lean <laughs> not to their own understanding. You know, because that's, that's really the only way to acknowledge him in every way and let them them direct your path because there's no path here on earth that's going to bring you the peace and the comfort that you're going to need that's going to fulfill that missing void. You need
1: God. You need God. I don't know of a better way for Ken Cobbs to have finished his discussion with us than to tell us unequivocally we all need God. God? What do you say to those people who are frustrated with those that are in the other room? Trust in the Lord. What if they don't believe in God? Witness to them in, 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 in a more subtle way then. Help them. Here's the thing if you can be the light and they can see that you don't react to the same things they react to, and they can see that you are more thoughtful and wiser in the circumstances that you're in, they're going to come to you and say, What's with you? How can you do that? How can this not get to you so badly? And that's our opportunity. When we stand for something higher, people tend to notice. And here's the beauty of this all. As we wrap this up, the resurrection, God's plan, is going to bring wisdom to everybody. It's going to bring full disclosure. Ignorance, prejudice, bigotry, and racism will be solved. First Timothy 2, 3-6. to
2: this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for
1: all the testimony given at the proper time? So it's talking about the ransom price of Jesus. And here's the thing it says, All men will be saved and come to a knowledge, come to a full disclosure of the truth. You know what full disclosure means? It means you're presented with the bottom line, clarity of the important facts. The Apostle Peter in Acts 15 gave full disclosure and everybody abided by that. In the resurrection, Everybody's given full disclosure of what's what and God's plan and how to rise above. And so really, this is a beautiful picture of how God's plan is going to solve all of this. Wise actions of being faithful to God through Jesus bring the ultimate answer. You know what that is? It's a new government in this world. Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 is our final verse that helps us to see that.
2: In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever.
1: You understand the power of those words, and you understand that God's got this ultimately in control, and we just need to be the light in the world right now.
3: One more quote from Martin Luther King Jr. Never succumb to the temptation of bitterness.
1: We should stand above it. Jonathan, our final Working Toward Wisdom uh, principle.
2: Wise actions are reflected in shining as a spiritual light in earthly places. The world needs God, and our actions must reflect that need. Let our light
1: be in the world, but not of the world. So, folks, as we wrap this up, let's think about the positive position each of us can be in, in whatever room we're in in dealing with racial tension and issues. We can be the light that is proactively affecting those around us. Be engaged in the lives of those around you with the light of Christ, the light of God's Word, and the light of integrity to those things so that we can have this incredible positive influence in a dark time. Are we going to solve the issues? No. But what we can do is be a blessing those around us in the room that we're in. And by God's grace, let's find a way to get into the other room. Bless them as well. And what you will see is a reciprocation, and we can change our world that's around us. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at christianquestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, what did Jesus teach us about money? What did Jesus teach us about money? Talk to you next week.